We found a lot of stuff so far between chapter 1 and chapter 8 of how not to be right with God. We found a lot of stuff that, that teaches us what not to do and how just living by a set of rules is not going to make you right with God. But now we, we have what we've been looking for the whole time. Now we see what we've been searching for all this time, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Everybody read it with me, verse 4, one more time. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Father, thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. Thank you for an awesome church. Thank you for great people that come together that are, are designed, not, not, because, not because we're good, not because we have great ability or talent, but because we all have a great desire to know you and love you and serve you, Lord. And God, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts tonight. Open our minds, and Lord, help us to understand and comprehend your word. Let it all be simple. I pray that this great doctrine and truth that we are studying, Lord, will become into, uh, just in such a way in our hearts that we love it, we live it. God, we'll be what you would have us to be. And Lord, we'll thank you for all that you've done, what we know you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Is everybody seated? Does anybody need a lesson? Did we run out of lessons? Did everybody get a lesson? Is there anybody in the house that needs a lesson? Raise your hand if you need a lesson. Anybody need a lesson? Everybody's got one. All right. All right. Here's, here's a recap. Here's a recap. If you want to take your lesson and write it somewhere, I don't even know if I left room for you to write it anywhere, but if not, just write it in your memory banks. All right? Let's go back to Romans chapter number 6. From Romans 6 to Romans 8, we are talking about getting victory over sin. We are talking about living right. Uh, he, comes out of, he comes out of a teaching. He comes out of a preaching on justification. And we knew that they were going to be critics. They were going to be skeptics of his doctrine of justification and, uh, and, and saying, well, if, if that is so, if we are justified. Now, what did I say justification meant? Say it with me. Just if I had never sinned. When I got saved, God justified me. God the Father looks at me just if I had never sinned. I am clean, I am holy, I am pure in Jesus Christ. Say amen. Well, some people took that and, and, and had the idea and the thought process that, well, then that means you can just do whatever. Because you remember when we studied the, the verse that said where, grace, or where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. So they said, well, did we didn't just need to sin so grace can abound? He said, God forbid. We, should, we who are God's people, we who are God's children, we should no longer live in sin. We should no longer be that way. We can have victory over sin. So he takes three chapters, 6, 7, and 8, to refute their argument, to refute their criticism, and to teach us how to live godly, to teach us how to live in victory over sin. How many of y'all have failed a temptation before? How many of y'all don't want to do that no more? It's all here. Now, watch this. In chapter 6, in chapter 6, he teaches us victory. He teaches us victory. And he teaches us our relationship to the flesh. He teaches us our relationship to the flesh. Now, y'all remember, the flesh is not your, your skin and bones. It is the old nature. It is that part of you. It is that part of you that tries to get you to do wrong. It's that part of you that you were born with. It's that part of you that you came into this world with that influences you to follow wrongdoing, wrong living, wrong activity. It is called the flesh, and we all have it. Amen? Now, let's illustrate this. Come on, guys. 
Come on, real quickly, real quickly. Step out. Some of y'all remember the, some of y'all remember the rope. Uh, some of y'all remember the rope. Here we have the flesh. This is the flesh. This is the flesh. This is sinner Sam, all right? This is sinner Sam. Before he got saved, let me back this up so everybody can see. Before he got saved, the flesh led him everywhere. The flesh controlled him. The flesh told him what to do. The flesh dragged him everywhere. He could try to live right for a little bit, but he never could get complete victory because he was controlled by the flesh. The flesh had power over him. The flesh had power over him. Now, when we got saved, according to chapter number 6, according to chapter number 6, when we got saved, God came and broke, broke the power of sin in his life. And God broke the power of sin in your life. Now, what he says in chapter number 6 is you need to reckon it to be so. In other words, you need to believe it. You need to believe that God has broken the power of sin. Now, he has delivered you from the power of sin, but we're not delivered from the presence of sin. Y'all understand that? There's a difference, all right? Now, so, with that being said, we, we know that the flesh is with us, but he has no power anymore. He cannot force you to do anything. He cannot make you to do anything. He cannot drag you against your will, but he is still there and he will still try to influence you. How many of y'all know that's been saved to while? I know I'm telling the truth right there? He's still going to be there. But according to Romans 6, we have victory over the flesh. Why? Because God broke the power he had over us. He broke the power he had over us. So now, with that being said, with that being said, come on, Holy Spirit. I know it's Buchanan. It's the best I could do. Amen? All right. Now, <laughs> I'm just kidding. When we got saved, when we got saved, God broke the power of the flesh over us. Now, uh, sinner Sam is now Saint Sam. But Saint Sam has two, two animals in him. Two things inside of him that's at war, according to chapter 7. Paul knows this. Paul experiences this. Paul says it's frustrating. He says, inside of me, there is the old man who is dying to have control. There's the old man that's dying to have influence. In me, this is now we're in chapter 7, all right? In me, there is somebody that's wanting control. The old man, the old flesh, my old nature. But thank God, God has put the Holy Spirit here. God has put the Holy Spirit here to help me. Now, in chapter 7, we go into an issue and a problem that he had to deal with. And that was this. That was this. People were trying to control the, with the, and it don't work. In all of chapter 7, Paul is dealing with legalism. The thought and the idea that you could control the flesh or that you could be spiritual and righteous by doing a certain list of good deeds or following a set of regulations or following a set of rules. And he began to explain the whole deal with the law. The law was not given to you to make you righteous. The law was not given to you to save you. The law was given to you so you could see that you were not righteous and so you could see that you needed a Savior. According to the Word of God, the law was simply a schoolmaster to bring you to the Savior. Amen? We learned a couple of things last week. The law can't save us. The law cannot change us. The law cannot control us. Matter of fact, all the law will do is bring sin out of you. 
Y'all remember, y'all remember my signs? When, when, when human beings in the flesh, when human beings in the flesh run up and see a sign, wet paint, don't touch, what do you do? Don't step on the grass. What do you do? 55 miles an hour. Right? Now, here's the deal. So, he is saying, look, we have liberty. We have liberty. Quit trying to control people with the law because it don't work. The law was not meant to do that. The law was not supposed to make you righteous. You, the, the, the Bible says the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. We cannot do that, and it doesn't work. We have liberty. We have freedom. We have grace. Say amen. Now, that brings us into, that brings us into Romans 8. All right, what do we do then? What do we do then? We're supposed to be holy. God says, God says, be ye holy for I am holy. We have to live righteous. If a set of rules ain't going to get it done, and, and there's, there's this influence that we have all the time that's always there. He's always there. He won't go away. He's going to be there in our life till Jesus comes. So, so how in the world do we live right? At the end of chapter 7, Paul, Paul just gets down and just explains how frustrating it is. So that that I want to do, I don't do, and that that I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. I'm frustrated. He said, in myself, and this is what he's saying, in my own ability, I don't have the ability to do right. I don't have the ability to fulfill God's expectations in my life. So what is the key? In, in Romans 8, excuse me, Romans 7, look back in Romans 7. Romans 7 in verse number 25. Verse number 25. Y'all there? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Let me back up. Let me back up. Wretched man. Verse 24. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, in other words how am I going to have ability and, and, and deliverance over sin. He says it's going to come through the Lord Jesus Christ by means of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, let's talk about this. Let's look in, in chapter number 8. Y'all can have a seat for just a second. Don't go nowhere. All right? Dorgan, see if y'all can get these, these lights right here on, if that's possible. Uh, uh, in in, the, in the, a recap of last week, in a recap of last week, in conclusion, what does it mean to be dead to the law? Does it mean that we lead lawless lives? Nope. It simply means that the motivation and the dynamic of our life does not come from the law. It comes from God's grace through our union in Christ. Did, did y'all hear that? The motivation and the dynamic that helps us live a righteous and holy life does not come from the law. It comes from grace and our union with Jesus Christ. Now, if you're trying to write all this stuff down, it's in your notes from last week. And if you didn't have them, just tell me and I'll get you some after, all right? What is the difference? What is the difference about the Christian service as opposed to the old life of sin? To begin with, the Holy Spirit of God energizes us as we seek to obey and serve the Lord. Now, this is the way it was under the law. Under the law, there was no enablement given. God's commandments were written on stones and then read to people. God said, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And that was it. You did it. You followed it. This is the way it is. But now, 
in the life we're living today, in the time that we're living today, the age of grace. Listen, in the times today, it says God's commandments were written on stones, or excuse me, God's word is written in our hearts. According to 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, God puts it in us. It's not an outward influence, it's an inward influence. Y'all with me? It's not an outward, uh, it's not an outward motivation. It's not an outward control. It's a change and a motivation from the inside. That is what most that is what most people in the Christian realm, what they have missed, what they don't understand, what they don't get. We try to control people. We try to put laws and we try to put rules and we try to put regulations. And what we do, instead of working on their heart, we work on what they look like on the outside. And we think if we get them fixed and what they're supposed to look like on the outside, everything's right. But God looks way past the outside. He said God does not look on the outside. He looks all the way down to the heart. And, and this is the deal. This is the deal. The Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Are y'all with me? Be ye transformed. The word transform is where we get our, it's the Greek word metamorphio, where we get our word metamorphosis. Are y'all with me? Now, y'all know what metamorphosis is. It's the butterfly. You got an ugly old caterpillar that something starts happening on the inside. And there is a work going on from the inside out. The butterfly don't change from the outside in. Neither does a Christian change from the outside in. I'm telling you, it starts with the heart. It starts with the inside. And oh, I'm telling you, you don't think it's got potential. You don't think that such beauty could come out of something so ugly. It's the same way with God's child. God can take somebody out of skid row. God can take somebody out of the bar. God can take somebody out of a crack house. And you think there is no potential. There is no hope. But God can take that same person and start a work on the inside. And when that work starts on the inside, It'll always come on the outside. I need some help in the house tonight. That's the way it's supposed to be. Now, watch this. That motivation. God puts it in us. God puts it in. And here's the here's the here's the the most fundamentalist. They will critique it this way. Would y'all just believe in a, a lawless? Nah, nah. We just believe it's not on stone. It's in our heart. It's in our heart. God will take it from the inside. And, and by the way, if you just try to change them on the outside, they haven't changed. I've seen a lot of people come into church and, 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 and get fixed up. Get the haircut, look at everything, got the part, and just a little while, they're back to what they used to be. But I tell you what, if you ever get on the inside, now you may stray a little bit, but you ain't going to go far. Amen? Well, anyhow, we got to get to the thought, don't we? All right? Listen, God puts his commandments in our heart. Then, that's not all. All right? St. Sam, come on up here. St. Sam and, and, and old nasty flesh who influences us, try to get us wrong. He's with us. But see, but see, God knew when he saved him and broke the power of the flesh over us, he put something with us to help us. You see, because the, the children of God never could follow them commandments. Never could get it right. So instead of just saying, here's a list of rules, he said, I'm going to put all of that inside of you, and I'm going to give you somebody to help you. I'm going to give somebody to walk with you. I'm going to give somebody to comfort you. I'm going to give somebody to teach you. He is our teacher. Amen? 
That's why I tell you, most people come to my office and say, Preacher, can I really do this? They already know no. Somebody was asking me this in my office today. They was asking about a certain situation and said, they asked, is this okay to do? I said, I said, let me ask you a question. So let me ask you a question. I said, did you ask me if it was okay to wear that shirt today? Well, no. I said, you know why? Because you knew it was okay. But if you had any doubt whatsoever and you thought it wasn't, that's why you have to ask. And if you have to ask, you already know. Now, how do you already know? It's what God put in you. You just want to come ask the preacher and maybe he'll say yes and ease your conscience. I'm just doing some preventative stuff right now. Amen. Now watch. God's word is written in our hearts. We walk in the newness of life. Romans 6, 4 says we serve in the newness of the spirit. The believer then is no longer under the authority of the law, but under the power of grace. And grace has always been more powerful than the law. Right? Therefore. Therefore. All right, y'all can sit down. Therefore. Don't go far. You remember what we started with in chapter 6? He was refuting their idea their idea that you had to trust Christ and then follow the, 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 the Mosaic law. He said, y'all are just, you're just teaching lawlessness and you're just teaching, you can just go out and do whatever you want to do. And then he begins to teach them about justification and sanctification and righteousness. Now, now at this point, he's saying, therefore, therefore, because of our relationship with the flesh, our relationship with the law, and now our relationship, and you'll, you'll, see, you'll see the Holy Spirit over and over and over and over again in chapter number 8. All right? He said, therefore, there is no condemnation. No condemnation to them that are in Christ. Now watch this. Let's look at your notes now. Let's look at your notes now. Number one, we see a confirmation. We see a confirmation. All right? What is he confirming here in this first verse? Write this down. Write this down. There is a confirmation of my present state. There is a confirmation of my present state. In other words... He is letting you understand, if you belong to Christ, you are not condemned. I don't care what you did in your past, you're not condemned. I don't care who you used to be, you're not condemned. I don't care how much is on your account, you're not condemned. I don't care what everybody else has seen you do, I don't care where you come from, you are not condemned. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are under no condemnation. Amen. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not... He that believeth on Him is not... But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Romans 3.20 shows the therefore of condemnation, but Romans 8.1 gives the therefore of no condemnation. It's a tremendous truth and the conclusion of a marvelous argument. The basis for the wonderful assurance is the phrase, in Christ Jesus. In Adam, we were, help me, in Adam we were, but in Christ, there is no condemnation. In other words, you remember we said a couple, I don't even remember which lesson it was, but we said that when we were physically born, we were born in Adam. We were born in Adam, we were born in the flesh. 
But when we were born again, we were born in the Spirit, we were born in Christ. In Adam, I was born in condemnation. But in Christ, I was born in no condemnation. Amen? Now, now with that being said, this verse does not say no mistakes, no failures, or even no sins. It does not say that those that are in Christ will have no mistakes, no failures, or no sins. It doesn't say that because we all know if you've been saved any amount of time, you're going to realize you're going to make mistakes. You're going to slip. You're going to fall. Uh, but that doesn't mean that God throws us out. Thank God. I'm, I'm glad I'm of the, of the persuasion, once saved, always saved. I'm glad I'm of the persuasion who believes that once you get saved, once you are in Christ, you are there till Jesus comes. Man, if I woke up every day of my life wondering if I could lose it that day, I'd need a drink. I mean, just how much does it take to lose it? The Bible says clearly here, and, I, and that's a whole nother time. We're not going to argue about that, so don't send me no emails. Amen? It's just, it won't work. There is no condemnation in them who are in Christ Jesus. We're going to, we, we may make mistakes, we may slip, but thank God we are safe in Jesus Christ. Christians do fail. They do make mistakes. They do sin. But the believer has a new relationship with the law now. Therefore, he cannot be condemned. The law no longer has any jurisdiction over you. You are dead to the law, according to Romans 7, 4, and free from the law, according to Romans 8, 2. Now, why are we not condemned? Because Christ has already suffered that condemnation for you on the cross. The law could not save. It can only what? But God sent his son to save us and to do what the law could not do. The law of double jeopardy states that a man cannot be tried twice for the same crime. Since Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sins, and since you are in Christ, read it with me, everybody, God will not condemn you. Now, some of y'all can get some sleep tonight. Seriously. Now, now some of y'all in here, you've been saved a long time, and this is all very simple to you, and this, this doesn't really mean much to you. But there are so many baby Christians in here that are worried to death that they're going to make God mad at them. Listen, you're a child of God. My daughter's sitting right over here on the front row. Now, she has irritated me several times in her lifetime. But she is mine. And I love her. I went to her work today. I was going to take her out to lunch, and she done went. I don't know why they wouldn't let her go again. I don't know what that problem was. but Didn't they see me walk in the building? Hey, man, I don't. But I just saw her, and I was so proud of her. She looked so professional back there. She saw customers coming in, me standing there. I could tell her getting nervous. Hey, man, what was I going to say and all that? But she's mine, and I love her. And there's nothing she could do to stop me from loving her. You're not condemned. Believe that. But preacher so-and-so, I don't care what so-and-so said. But I feel like, it doesn't matter what you feel. The word, God's holy word, says you are not condemned. Not condemned. Now watch this. There's a confirmation of my present state. Then B, I like this one, I like this one. There is a confirmation of my potential success. There is a confirmation of my potential success success. 
I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life I just didn't think I could do it. My uncle, my uncle, uh, uh, I, man, that just tears me up even thinking about this. My uncle was told, because he, he grew up in a different denomination, that, that you could sin and lose it. And, uh, and, and if you didn't, it, it, you had to be good to get saved, and if you didn't stay good, you'd lose it. And he said, what's the use? There's no sense in me even trusting Christ because I can't live it. And he died and went to hell because of a lie a denomination told him. And there's so many people today that won't come to church because they don't want to be a hypocrite. Now, if you know people with that philosophy or you have that attitude, I'd rather go to church with a few hypocrites than hell with all of them. Amen? But here's the here's the point, and it's a and it's a legitimate it's a legitimate misunderstanding, because they feel like there's no sense in me trying to go to church because I know I can't live it. Guess what? Newsflash: neither can nobody else on their own. But watch what these next few verses teach us. So whoever you are in here, whatever you feel like your spiritual ability is right now. Some of you feel like you'll never be able to attain to a certain level. Well, I'll never be like that Sunday school teacher. I'll never be like that deacon. Or I'll never be like the preacher. I'll never be like the missionary. I'll never be like this person. Whatever you think your ability is, watch what the Bible says. Because I'd rather trust the Bible than my own feelings. And watch what it says. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ hath made me free from the law of sin and death. That goes with the condemnation. Now watch verse 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. In other words, I just couldn't get it done. I couldn't live it on my own. The law could not save me because all it did was condemn me. All it did was show me how, how, what poor shape I'm in. Now watch this. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Watch this. Here it is, verse 4. My potential success. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. In other words, when you study the word of God. And you see the high expectations that God the Father has for us. To be righteous. Man, what does it say? There is none righteous, no, not one. It says this, for we have all come short of the glory of God. And when we see this high expectation for righteousness and we look, there's no way. Right? In our, in our imagination, our mind, and our thinking, there's no way. Because over centuries, man's not been able to live up to it. Watch what it says. That the righteousness, those expectations, of the law might be fulfilled in us. In other words, God is going to, because of what Jesus did on the cross, it's going to give us the ability to be what God wants us to be. I can be righteous. I can live holy. I can live a pure life 
I can walk in the light as he is in the light. Isn't that awesome? Say, but preacher, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. It doesn't matter. The word of God is still true. I'm not condemned, and I have power. I have ability. I can do this. You'll never do it till you think you can. I don't even think you understand how powerful what I just said is. How many people won't even try because they don't think they can? Ben, Jim. Ben's been watching my progress. I think he's laughing at me around the corner. I really do. I'm not sure, but I, me and Becca was at the, at the gym, yeah, I guess day before yesterday, Monday, and, uh, and, and, and we was putting weights on, and I, I put some more on, and she thought, she said, I can't do that. She didn't even try. She, didn't, she, she just said, she said, there's no way I can do that. I said, well, let's try. It ain't going to hurt nothing. Well, she went, I could see her face. She was scared. She went, yeah, you know, I mean, then she gets that, that gorilla growl, amen? She wasn't even going to try because she thought she couldn't. Now, some of y'all are not even attempting. You're not even attempting to resist the devil. You're not even attempting it. The Bible says resist the devil and he'll flee from you. He's just riding my back like a pony. Take the saddle off. Try it. Try to live right. Because God says you can. And you're going to see why. You're going to see why. This chapter explains it. Can y'all see this potential success? The believer lives a righteous life, not in the power of the law, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. The law does not have the power to produce holiness. It can only reveal and condemn sin. But the indwelling Holy Spirit enables you to walk in obedience to God's will. Why? Because when you do something you're not supposed to, he's going to be screaming like a harpy eagle in your heart. I've been going through an experience. I've been going through an experience, and it's just with my walk with God and, 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 and God showing me some stuff. And it is unbelievable how powerful the Holy Ghost is if you will listen. If you will listen. There's no question about it. There's no doubt about it. You can walk holy if you'll just listen to it. Because when he says stop, stop. When he says go, go. When he says don't, don't. When he says do, do. Are y'all with me? This is, this is possible. Now watch. The power comes from the Holy Spirit. The indwelling spirit enables you to walk in obedience to God's will. The righteousness that God demands in his law is fulfilled in you through the spirit's power. Now the legalist, he tries to obey God in his own strength and he fails to measure up to the righteousness that God demands. He can't do it. The spirit-led Christian, as he yields to the Lord, experiences the sanctifying work of the spirit in his life. For it is God that worketh in you. But to will and to do of his good, both to dwell and to do of his good pleasure. Now think about that verse a minute. It is God that worketh in you. Have y'all ever seen somebody a cook this this own and they work something in something? They see a a a a, a thing. A, 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 what do you make biscuits out of? There you go. They see that and it's a little bit too dry or it's a little bit too wet, and they put a little bit more flour in. And they what are they doing? 
or working it. Say, say work it. Oh, yeah. The moment you get saved, God's working on you. God's not only working on you, God is working in you. To do what? To do what? It says it right there in that verse. To will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, I'm glad that that one song we sang when we was growing up as a little kid, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Amen? Y'all remember that song? It's true. It's true. The Holy Spirit begins a process of developing you more into the image of his son. And we'll see that later on in this chapter. All right? Now, look on number two. First, we see a confirmation. Verses one through four. We see a confirmation. Then he begins to show us a contrast. A contrast in verses five Verses 5 through 8. Watch what he says. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. In other words, it won't surrender. The, 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 the flesh will never be controlled by the law. Never. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now he's contrasting two different people, a lost person and a saved person. He's contrasting, he's contrasting somebody that's in the flesh and somebody that's in Christ. He's, in other words, lost and saved. And he begins to describe this person. He's, listen, A, we see there's a contrast in obedience. There's a contrast in obedience. People that are lost and people that are saved are obeying two different things. And they're following two different things. In the flesh and in the spirit. The unsaved person does not have the spirit of God in him. And the life uh, and lives in the flesh and for the flesh. In other words, he just does what he wants to do. He, now, now, saved people can't get sideways with lost people because lost people don't have what saved people have. And quit expecting lost people to act like saved people. Lost people are supposed to act crazy. Lost people are supposed to act like lost people. It's the saved folks that's not supposed to be acting like lost people. Amen? Now watch. The lost person, his mind is centered on things that satisfy the flesh. But the Christian, now watch this. Sinner saying? The lost person, old nature, the old nature's here. He wants to do wrong, wants to live wrong, wants to be wrong. It's, it's, it came with Adam. Adam passed on that old nature with us, passed on that condemnation to us. And listen, when a person's lost, that's all he listens to. That's all he wants to make happy. That's all he wants to fulfill. That's all he wants to satisfy is the flesh. And there's nothing good in the flesh. Zero. Paul says, I have zero confidence in my flesh. There's nothing good in it whatsoever. Nothing. And, and you can go in the Word of God and find that all of the fruit of the flesh and the things that come from the flesh. And you would be amazed at what could come from our flesh. Murder and envy and bitterness and anger and all these things and all these issues in our life. Now when a person's lost, that's all he cares about. That's all he obeys. But oh, when he comes to Christ and gets saved, now he's following a different leader. Now he's following a different influence. His, his life completely changes. The Christian has the Spirit of God within and lives in an entirely new and different sphere. His mind is fixed on the things of the Spirit. This does not mean that the unsaved person does, never does anything good or that the believer never does anything bad. 
It just means this. It means that the bent of their lives is different. One lives for the flesh, and the other lives for the spirit. Do y'all get what I say when I say that? It doesn't mean that the... Because the, the, I know a lot of lost people that are good people. I know a lot of lost people that are just good old boys. And matter of fact, I know a lot of lost people that, that live a lot better morally than some say people I'm supposed to know. And that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that saved people are not going to have issues sometimes and not going to have weaknesses sometimes. It just means, it just means, if, if I can say it this way, when I was lost, I didn't care that I sinned. When I got saved, I didn't want to anymore. I may slip up and do it, but I sure regret it when I did. And I felt horrible about it. And it bothered me. Before I got saved, nothing bothered me. Boy, after I got saved, it bothered me. Why? What was there to bother me? The Holy Ghost. Thank God. Most of y'all in your cars, you have one of them oil lights in there. And it's a good thing you do. Amen? We'd have a catastrophe. That's what the Holy Spirit is there. Hey, you know better than that. Watch this. This is so good. You can sit down. You can sit down. There's not only a contrast in obedience, but in verses 6 through 8, we find there's a contrast in outcome. What is the outcome of the one that lives in the flesh and the one that lives in the spirit, the lost and the saved? The Bible says in verse number, verse number 6, For to be carnally minded is death. The wages of sin is for to be carnally minded is, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is the enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You, you could never please God lost. You can't. It's impossible. Watch what it says. The outcome. The unsaved person, we have death and life here in verse 6. The unsaved person is alive physically, but dead spiritually. The inner man is dead toward God and does not respond to the things of the Spirit. He may be moral and even religious, but he lacks spiritual life. He needs the Spirit of life in Christ. He has to have that. All right? Then in verse 7, we find there's war and peace. There's war with God and peace with God. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I'd rather have peace with God. I want to have peace with God. I know what it feels like to be out with God. I know what it feels like not to be right with God. And I want to be with peace of God where I can lay my head on my pillow and know God's happy with me. Amen? Now watch what it says. In our study of Romans 7, we have seen that the old nature, the old nature rebels against God and will not submit to God's law. It always creates rebellion. Those who have trusted Christ enjoy peace with God, according to Romans 5.1. While the unsaved are at war with God, there is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. No peace. Isn't it amazing that atheists are spending a ton of money to fight something they don't even think is really there? Is that, I just thought about that. I don't know. Amen. Verse 8. We see the outcome. Death versus life. War versus peace. Pleasing self or pleasing God. Verse 8. Watch what it says. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. To be in the flesh means to be lost, outside of Christ. The unsaved person lives to please himself 
and rarely, if ever, thinks about pleasing God. And the root of sin is selfishness. I will, not thy will. If you go look up when Lucifer fell and when Satan fell and look at all the I wills, I will place my throne above the, above the heavens, above the stars. I will be like, and he has several of them. That's the, that's the seed of sin. But I'm glad in the garden Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. Amen? Amen. That's a whole other message. But let's look number three. We'll, we'll hurry. We'll hurry. What was number one? We see he gave a, say it with me now, number one, he gave a confirmation. Number two, he gave a, now can y'all, can everybody see the contrast between the lost and the saved? The lost live one way, the saved live the other. The lost have one desire, the saved have another. The lost have one destiny, the saved have another. Now he shows the difference between them. Now in this next verse, in this next verse, he's going to point at you. This next verse just drives it home. He's speaking to the saved now, and this is what he says. He contrasts the difference between being in the flesh and being in the spirit, being lost and being saved. Now watch what he says, this next verse, in verse number 9. Watch what he says. But ye, now can you imagine Paul's finger pointing at you? But ye, he contrasts flesh and spirit, those living in the flesh, those living in the spirit. Now what he, watch what he says about y'all. If you're here today and you're saved. If you're not saved, we can help you with that before you leave. But if you're saved today, this is who he's talking to. This is who he's talking to, and this is what he says. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. It's a very important fact. I want you to write this down. He gives us a consideration. What do we need to consider? First, he gives a correct observation. He gives a correct observation. If you are saved, you are in Christ. If you are saved, you are in Christ. He says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now watch what he says. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. This is so powerful. There are so many people in churches all over America who are trying to be religious, and they like church, and they'll come in and blend in because it's exciting to them, and they feel a part of it, and it eases their conscience, but they're wondering why they have not the ability to walk right, and they keep messing up and keep falling down, and they have no power to do right because they're missing one important element, the Holy Ghost. And I don't care how much you go to church, I don't care how much you read your Bible, if the Holy Ghost is not in you, you are not saved. You are not saved. Preacher, I just don't feel that, or I just don't have that, or I just don't have that desire. I, I'm just telling you what the Word says. It is what it is. Amen? Now watch. Watch this. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. The evidence of conversion, the evidence of conversion is the presence of the Holy Spirit within, witnessing that you are a child of God. Your body becomes the very temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing. 
Uh, hey, Jeff, come here a minute. Little Jeff, little Jeff. Well, actually, yeah. I don't care. He'll be little Jeff till Jesus comes. I'm little Malcolm, and I'll always be little Malcolm. Amen. Don't you, don't you come stand beside me. Now, I've I'm, I'm been working out, so I'm going to make him look kind of small now. So, right. All right. See? I told you. Now, watch this. Now, watch this. Let me ask you a question. You think I'd know he was there? <laughs> He's so much like his daddy, it's ridiculous. Amen. I've heard people say this. Well, I think I'm saying if if the whole how will I know if he's there? Really? How will you know if he if you don't know he probably ain't the Holy Ghost spoke the world into existence the Bible says the spirit moved on the face of the waters he is so powerful he is so mighty and he is so, it's kind of like the it's kind of like the, the the little girl that come home from school and she said mama mama I heard that God holds the whole world in his hand. That's right, honey. But, Mama, you don't understand. The Sunday school teacher told us that, 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 that God lives on the inside. Well, that's right, honey, he does. Well, in that case, he ought to be busting out everywhere. If God's not busting out everywhere, you probably ain't got him. Now don't think that don't think that the moment you got saved that there's going to be lightning and flashing and the birds are going to be sweeter and all this kind of jive. But you're going to know it. Because the moment I do wrong, he taps me on the shoulder. Pretty girl goes by or something and I go to be tempted to take a look. Remember you tapped me on the shoulder. I'm telling you. Get angry with your spouse. God's going to say, really? Yeah. <laughs> Go sit down. <laughs> Come on, give him a hand. That's a poor illustration. It's true. How could something as powerful and mighty and as great as God move into your life and you not know it. You say, preacher, you're just trying to get me to doubt my salvation. No, 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 no. I'm not trying to do that. But the Bible does say, make your calling and election sure. And you need to know. 
Because if you keep messing up and you keep messing up and you keep messing up and you try 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 and try and try and 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 you do things and and you just never can get it, there may be a reason why. And if you can live, if you can live a certain way and you can live in sin, sin that you know is sin and it doesn't bother you, something's wrong. He's called the what kind of spirit? The Holy Spirit. And if we do unholy things, it's going to upset and quench and grieve the Holy Spirit. Amen? There's a, there's a correct a correct observation. But then, verse 12. Verse 12, we find a Christian obligation. We find a Christian obligation. The Bible says in verse 12, Therefore, therefore, Brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Let me go back, let me go back and read verse 10 and 11 so you know why therefore is there. If, if Christ be in you, if Christ be in you, in other words, if you're saved, Christ is in you, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, this is what he's going to do. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. In other words, if we die before Jesus comes, one day the spirit of God is going to raise our bodies back up. Isn't that great? Therefore, because of that, we have an obligation not to the flesh, not to the flesh. We're not debtors to the flesh. We're debtors to the spirit. Watch what it says. Watch what it says in your notes. There's a Christian obligation in verse 12. It is not enough for us to have the spirit. The Spirit must have us. You get that? Underline that in your notes. Underline that in your notes. It is not enough for us to have the Spirit. The Spirit must, in other words, we must be surrendered to Him. We must be a living sacrifice and yielded to the Holy Spirit in our lives. Only then, only then can He share with us the abundant, victorious life that can be ours in Christ. In other words, come on, come on, come on, quick, 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 quick. All right? All right, here's the deal. The Holy Spirit's offering us power. The Holy Spirit's offering us power. But if we have our back and don't spend time in prayer and don't spend time in Bible study and Bible reading, if we don't say, Lord, help me and surrender to him, you can't get it. You might have him, but does he have you? Are y'all with me? Does he have your undivided attention? Does he have your surrendered heart? Are you yielded to his guidance and direction and help? You will never experience his presence and power till you surrender to him. Are y'all with me? Watch this. We have no obligation. We have no obligation to the flesh because the flesh has only brought trouble into our lives. Flesh has always got me in trouble. We do have an obligation to the Holy Spirit, for it is the Spirit who convicted us. It is the Spirit who revealed Christ to us. It is the Spirit who imparted eternal life to us when we trusted Christ. Because He is the Spirit of life, He can empower us to obey Christ, and He can enable us to be more like Christ. Who would know Christ more than His Holy Spirit? Well, we've got to yield to Him. We've got to surrender to Him. Are you all with me? He's there to help us. 
God's given us the ultimate power and the ultimate blessing in the Holy Spirit to walk with us and guide us and be with us every step of the way. But we've got to yield to him. All right, now, I want you to see, see. There is a Christian obligation in verse 12. But then see, there's a crucifying operation. There is a crucifying operation. All right, verse number, verse number 13. Watch what the Bible says. So far, before I read that, so far he's been the spirit of what? See if y'all can guess. Life, right? He's brought life in us. The body's dead. Our old man is dead. He is the spirit of, come on, he's the spirit of life. But we need him also to be the spirit of death. The spirit of death. Preacher, what are you talking about? Watch this. Watch this. Verse 13. For if ye live after the... That's him. If ye live after the flesh, ye shall... But if ye through the spirit do... Mortify means to kill. Crucify. Put to death. If ye do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall... Now watch this. Watch this. The Holy Spirit is not just the spirit of life. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of death. He can enable us to put to death the sinful deeds of the body. As ye yield the members of your body to the spirit, according to Romans 6, he applies to us and in us the death and resurrection of Christ. He puts to death the things of the flesh and he reproduces the things of the spirit. It's so good. In other words, he will give us the power and the ability and the desire and the want to and the will to do the good stuff. And he will give us the power and the ability and the desire to put down and destroy and avoid the bad stuff. Are you listening? So many of us are struggling with both of them. And we, you know, we, we are trying so hard. We don't have time to try to do right because we're trying so hard not to do wrong. When if we would just submit to the Holy Ghost, lead us not into temptation. It's in the prayer. It's in the pattern that God gave you. He said every day of your life, you need to wake up and say, Our Father in heaven, lead us not into temptation. How does he do that? The GPS is the Holy Ghost. And the thing is, it can be there and tell you, but you got to be smart enough to do what he says. Amen. So many of us are driving down the road of life. And the Holy Spirit's like that GPS in our windshield. And that air is saying, turn, turn, turn. Because there's danger ahead. There's temptation ahead. There's traps ahead. There's things that's going to make you fall and sin ahead. You need to turn right here and stop what you're doing. And we just keep right on going. And we wonder why we fall and mess up all the time. Oh. The Bible says that the, the voice of the Lord is as a still, small 
but you can walk so close to God that it sounds like a roaring lion. Are y'all with me? He gives us the power to do right, to fulfill righteousness and have righteousness fulfilled in our life. But he, he gives us the power to mortify the deeds of the flesh, kill that anger, kill that bitterness, kill that unforgiving spirit, kill that lust, kill that adulterous thought. Are y'all with me? Kill that anger. Man, I need, I don't know about y'all, but I need the Holy Ghost. We don't have to walk around in defeat anymore. Not when we have the sweet Holy Spirit who has given us everything we need. All we have to do is submit to it. Amen? There's a crucifying operation. He puts to death the things of the flesh and reproduces the things of the Spirit. And then D, write this down. Write this down. We not only have a correct observation, a Christian obligation, a crucifying operation, but I want you to see a changed occupation. Oh, this is good stuff right here. We're going to stop right here. For at Youngstown, good job. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the what? Sons of God. Now here's the deal. Here's where we see it. For ye have not received the spirit of what? Bondage or slavery. We're not slaves anymore. We're not, we're not slaves to the flesh. We're not, in, we're not controlled and in bondage. We're not in bondage to the law that we could not live up to. We're not, we're not slaves anymore. But watch what it says. Watch what it says. You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. We don't have to live in fear. Slaves lived in fear, afraid that they were going to offend their master. <laughs> y'all, boy, if y'all ever get what I just said. But ye have received the spirit of adoption, where we by, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That's a term of endearment. In other words, you're saying, Papa. There's such a sweet relationship that's there. Listen, it's not master. It's Papa. Father. You know, there's so many, there's so many children who had a terrible relationship with their father. He abused them and he, and he broke them down and, and, and just, just did awful things. And, and they have a wrong image of a true father. But, but thank God, our heavenly father is nothing like our earthly father. We're no longer slaves. We're a son. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God. And watch this. Joint heirs with Christ. What does that mean? Everything Christ owns, we own. <laughs> watch this. The Holy Spirit is also the spirit of adoption. The word adoption in the New Testament means being placed as an adult son. We are not under bondage to the law and afraid to act. We have the liberty of the Spirit and are free to follow Christ. There is no need for the believer to be defeated. He can yield his body to the Spirit and by faith overcome the old nature. The Spirit of life will empower him. The Spirit of death will enable him to overcome the flesh. And the Spirit of adoption will enrich him and lead him into the will of God. Church. 
Say amen. I've got power to do right. I have power to overcome wrong. And I have the sweet Holy Spirit lead me into the riches and the blessings of the inheritance of the child of God. And we walk around in defeat. Not anymore. You're a child of God. Preacher, you just don't understand. If you're saved, do you realize who you are? And do you realize what you have? The Holy Spirit. The greatest friend you'll ever have. This side of glory. He'll never let you down. He'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. You can hurt his feelings and he'll keep coming back. I don't believe you hurt. The Bible says you can grieve the Holy Ghost. But he ain't going to leave you. Amen. Victory. It can be had. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your spiritual background is. I don't care what your church heritage is. does not matter. Every human being in this room can live in victory through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's give him praise and glory in this house tonight. Amen. Amen. And we want to congratulate Brother Dustin and his family. Uh, I was about to say he had a baby, but he didn't have no, Well, he had something to do with it, but he, he uh, let's pray. Amen. Give me the name again. Preston James Phillips, seven pounds even. That don't never happen. Seven pounds even. Amen. How many? 21 inches long? Let's give God praise for a safe delivery. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Everybody stand. Everybody stand. We're going to pray. Uh, listen, revival, revival is happening in our church. Revival, I'm telling you, Sunday, folks started getting saved. God is moving. How many of y'all are excited about revival? Come on. Let, yeah, come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Hey, you got to pray it down. You got to pray it down. I've been researching all the revivals, the great revivals of our country, and they all of them, without fail, started in a prayer meeting. If we want revival, we got to pray for it. Amen? You have not because you ask not. I want God to do something great in here. I really do. And so let's pray together. Amen? We're going to pray for Let's pray for this coming Sunday. Father, in Jesus' name, we praise your holy name. You're so good. You're so mighty. You're so wonderful. You are so understanding of who we are that you sent the Holy Spirit to help us. Because, Lord, on our own, we're, we're failures. On our own, we have no ability to get the job done. On our own, we cannot make this happen. But thank God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be victorious in everything. God, I pray that your will be done. Thank you for a friend in Jesus. And Lord, we'll praise your name. In Jesus' name we all pray. And all God's people say it. Good night, everybody. Shake somebody's hand before you leave here. Let them know you're glad to see them. Great job.